and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. Today we are so very blessed to welcome Sophia L. Bugs, also known as Lady Bugs or Mama Sophia. She's the proprietor and operator of Lady Bugs Farm, a 1.3 acre urban farm located on the south side of Youngstown, Ohio. She is reclaiming the sacred roots of farming through sustainable spiritual living. A few of her areas of expertise include specialty crop farming, wild crafting, and fermenting traditional foods. Her mission is to revitalize her community by offering well-being from seed to table, all while creating a loving urban homestead with her daughter, Passion. Sophia shares her urban wellness and farming insight through plant medicine wisdom, farmer's markets, oracle readings, cooking and gardening classes, and crystal singing bowl meditation. Sophia holds a master's of education with a concentration in curriculum and instruction from American Intercontinental University and a bachelor's of science in criminal justice from Bethune-Cookman University. She also has earned a number of accreditations, which include a year of OJT specialty crop apprenticeship through Goodness Grows, an organization that promotes food, faith, and sustainable farming for all, a market garden certificate with Youngston Neighborhood Development Corporation, and a certificate of intuitive plant medicine with One Willow Apothecaries. Welcome, Sophia. Thank you for being with us today. Sophia L. Bugs, also known as Lady Bugs or Mama Sophia, is the proprietor and operator of Ladybugs Farm, a 1.3 acre urban farm located on the south side of Youngston, Ohio. She is reclaiming the sacred roots of farming through sustainable spiritual living. A few of her areas of expertise include specialty crop farming, wild crafting, and fermenting traditional foods. Her mission is to revitalize her community by offering well-being from seed to table all while creating a loving urban homestead with her daughter, Passion. Sophia shares her urban wellness and farming insight through plant medicine wisdom, farmer's markets, oracle readings, cooking and gardening classes, and crystal singing bowl meditation. Sophia holds a master's of education with a concentration in curriculum and instruction from American Intercontinental University and a Bachelor of Science in Criminal Justice from Bethune-Cookman University. She also has earned a number of accreditations, which include a year of OJT Specialty Crop Apprenticeship through Goodness Grows, an organization that promotes food, faith, and sustainable farming for all, a market garden certificate with Youngston Neighborhood Development Corporation, and a certificate of intuitive plant medicine with One Willow Apothecaries. When we spoke with Sophia a few minutes ago, she mentioned that her one word to describe herself would be farmer. And thank you so very much for being on the show with us today, Sophia. Oh, thank you so very much. I'm so excited to share. Tell our listeners a little bit about why you were telling us so beautifully before we hit record, (laughs) why you describe yourself as a farmer over everything else, all the other wonderful work you do. Because the way you were talking about that was so beautiful and poignant for the show and, and the theme of our show. Well, I will say the, I, I have to give credit where I know credit should be given. Another farmer, Karen Washington, who's an amazing mother and mover shaker in the urban ag movement, 
um, shared with me after actually calling and asking for some advice for this upcoming talk to ask, what should I say? You know, I'm standing on the shoulders of my elders and great people like you. I want to make sure I say the right thing. And what she basically shared with me that everything that I do, all the work that I do is the work of farmer. And I've always known it, but it's kind of difficult when you live in a culture that primarily looks at farmer as a 56-year-old white male with a plaid shirt and a car cart with a cap on a tractor. That's what we view as farmer. And although that can be farmer, farmer is more than just rows and rows, growing rows and rows of food. Like these people have to be so divinely aligned with the soil and the planetary movement to have good crops, to know when or when not to fertilize, to understand when it's time to do um, crop rotation by not necessarily looking at a calendar, but feeling the movement of the sun. Like that's the magical stuff, you know, to water dousing when you're looking for water in your field. The list kind of goes on, and I'm sure that many of the spiritual religious practices we have today are definitely drawn or taken away from urban, or not urban ag, but agricultural practices, because that's what most of, what would we say, um, practitioners of the occult world or even witchcraft, you know, borrow from the natural element, which is agriculture. So... I like to just simplify it by saying farmer. Um, I feel good wearing that title, but I think it's also important that the world kind of has a broader understanding of what farmer is other than providing local produce or produce in the grocery stores. Um, these people oftentimes are introduced to ancient charting systems that have successful um, crop growth or when or when not to sow, when or when not to cover crops um, for healing on the ground space, when or when not to dig, you know, which side should you dig first? So I just want to, you know, give more credit than the credit was been given to most farmers. Farmers are magical beings. And um, although uh, Mama Sophia definitely represents a much more spiritual part of the work that I do. Mama Sophia is actually a farmer. <laughs> so um, I think that it's safe to say that, you know, I, I'm a farmer. I absolutely love that. And I absolutely love that, the, the description. And you can feel your conviction with this, but it's also, I've known a lot of people, um, I've lived a lot of different places who go back to that very basic natural connection with the earth when they grow food. And we're in a time, whether we're in Ohio or North Carolina or Maine or wherever, where food insecurity is such a huge, huge issue for so many. And I really see gardening as a way of, especially for so many of our, our listeners or empaths, it's an incredible way to get your reconnection to stay grounded to to help balance that earth energy with you know i'm going to call it the airy fairy stuff but but truly it's so so important but also how important it is and and how empowering it is not only as an individual but when you can bring 
a group together to garden together in a community setting. It's some damn yeah. powerful stuff. Yes, it is. Very, very powerful. It's very transformative. It's very renewing, very restoring, and it can be quantified. Um, I know that that's the challenge with a lot of the nonprofit groups is they're always trying to quantify how much work or how much efforts they put in the community can really be measured. But when it comes to life or a living, breathing element, like you really can't put a number into bodies, like especially where we're living out here in Northeast, Youngstown, Ohio, where there's been so much trauma. Um, mm -hmm. happening to the community that I'm grateful if I get three gardeners who are open enough because the soil is personal. I don't care where you're from, what you do, but when you come out in nature, she gets a hold of you, you know? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are in nature, um, they feel uncomfortable because they're not used to being in it as often. And when I get the opportunities to stand in the garden with people in the community, there's always a sense of healing that needs always, always shows up. And that's the work that I do. So in doing the work, I don't promote, I'm a healer, this is what I do. I just say that, you know, we're gardening and then nature does the rest. But you feel the, you feel the asking when they show up. You see the trouble in the lines of their faces. And you also see the relief and the clarity when they meet the soil after maybe discussing their issue or sharing. So the style that I've done it in the healing garden is that we first uh, sit and talk for about 15 minutes. We have a thing. I use basic things like love, hope, peace, trust. And one of the most beautiful uh discussions was on grace and I described grace as a time space and in between and in the meantime kind of space where where learning happens but I knew that 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 um grace was something that you had to have known and because the healing garden that I was doing this summer was at Martin Luther Lutheran which is a Lutheran church the pastor would often join us and he added his piece, which was, according to Lutheran faith, there has to be doctrine that precedeth it to even know if it was grace. So you had to have some prior knowledge before you can admit that you're in a space of grace. So there are people walking around who don't even realize that they are in blessed situations or grace has taken a hold of them because there is no prior cognitive skills, which I'm going to say is knowledge of self and knowledge of their ancestors to trigger where you are and the beauty of it. And so we, we danced with this, not just that one day, but like the next day. And, and while we were gardening, there were all kinds of ways to describe praise. It was a dance. It was a movement. It was a, a prayer. Um, it was a lot of things but we all agreed that there had to be prior knowledge that we all agreed that some of us hadn't unpacked or we didn't know that we needed to possess to experience um, 
this kind of space, which was which was great. And after gardening and having a snack, and then I believe the next day we did a urban vinegar class, and we still kept talking about grace. I could see how just that tiny little, those couple of hours, not only gave basic gardening skills, skills and um, peer activity one-on-one with other people you might not have known that you had a common interest. I also, you know, sparked intuition, you know, where people were like going home doing homework. They were also asking other people, what does grace mean to you? What does grace mean to you? And so they were figuring out who they were in this space of grace. And I loved the fact that just some simple coming together in nature and doing some basic gardening together could really ignite the desire to be well on their own. And that is, that's always been the challenge with community gardens because community gardens are typically run by people who don't live in those neighborhoods. So I'm fortunate. And even though that neighborhood is a predominantly African-American neighborhood, African-American Black, I'm African-American Black, but that's not my neighborhood. And I'm considered a paid um, worker for the, the church to offer the service. So it felt good that people in that neighborhood was having this kind of well-being activity because what happens is then they can take charge of their own neighborhood. It was the confidence and the beauty and the conversations and the fellowship that was happening in their neighborhood. And so when the garden was over, I was still getting texts from them. Meet you in the garden. And that was that's the point. You know, you know, that was the point to ignite something um that wasn't there necessarily, but kinda create a space within the space where um well being and happen well being can happen happen. And well being then always but usually for you to reap the benefits of well being, it has to be initiated by by you, by the self. So that's important that that made me feel good that there were some gardeners that would probably garden for a lifetime and that they had a couple exactly. of that helped unpack their own dramas and problems. And no, it wasn't a big old curriculum, but just those simple tools, creating a circle space, being vulnerable enough to share with another sister or a brother, and then find some soil and get into it and kind of magically give it away only for the universe to give it back to you in this magnanimous way with, with tomatoes and peppers and sage and, and cucumbers and all the kind of lights. Like that's like, I know that's the world I live in, but for once to see that other people want to live here with me, is kind of cool, you know? And one that's thing that I found working with, uh, I've shared this with you, Sophia, that we did a community garden project with the students in my program, most identified or at risk. And when it first started many, many years ago, I had a population of students in my program who were quite familiar with the criminal justice system. And to get them out there digging and planting and watching things and taking care of and helping things grow and come to fruition, it was so 
it was just such a nice, it gave them a level of success and a sense of personal satisfaction that was just so beautiful to see. Sure. Again, like, yeah, and then you can't necessarily quantify that, but I'm sure in the next year or so, they'll still be talking about it. You mm -hmm. touch, they, it touches the children or people in general in a way that I can't even explain. And you do, you see it, especially when you were there in the beginning to see where there was some insecurities or some challenges, you know? And you see how just adding that one little extra thing to their lives created relief for them and well-being. Could you tell our listeners how that spark was ignited for you? Were you raised gardening? Are you self-taught? How did you come into this world of ag gardening? Wow. Well, I got to say that it's definitely in my DNA. Um, uh, my great-grandmother, my great-grandfather on the Lower South Side had a garden. And then my grandmother had a garden. And her sister next door had a garden. And when we moved to Florida, my mother, uh, as a side job, worked in greenhouses. <laughs> and... I was definitely somewhere in that whole shuffle, that timeline I just gave you. So it was kind of always there, but I did not catch hold of it as of something of importance because it kind of just was there. My mother was a big plant, house plant keeper. And plants have always just kind of been in my world and I've always been an outdoor person, but I had never really made that deeper connection with plants until, and I'd always loved herb books and reading all the magazines about hobby farming and dreaming, but I had not necessarily had luck with growing myself, even houseplants. And it was until I had to move back home after being home as in back to Youngstown, um, because when I was 10, my mother took me to Central Florida because the, there were no jobs here in Youngstown. And so when I was 10, we did the Central Florida. I'd been there, come back and forth and visit. And then it was uh, nine years ago, I decided to return home because I was laid off of both of my amazing jobs and I lost my grandmother. And three, the number three is my number. And so I um, returned back home to figure out life because. When I was in Florida working those great jobs, I was very depressed, very much so asking people then if I should speak to a professional because of the way I was feeling, my low self-esteem. And no one saw it because I'm such a, I'm a great cancer. I'm actually a 13-moon cancer. And so all of my feelings and very private and secretive about how I am being diminished in the world coming home and kind of thinking about what I could do for myself as opposed to looking for something else to help me, I immediately started to make a connection with my grandmother. One, I was living in her home. I came back home. And in the home are your memories and pictures and the familiar surroundings. And so I felt, you know, with my grandmother transitioning, Somebody's got to make the zucchini bread in the family. So I thought, I'll do it. That right there lifted my spirit to just think I could 
do something as awesome as my grandmother making this bikini bread. And she made it for everybody. So I thought this would be a perfect challenge. And um, that's when I knew that, well, I need to grow some zucchini. So she grew her zucchini. Um, early spring, I decided to go check out the backyard to see, you know, where the garden space was to discover she had graveled it all in because she had cancer and she could no longer maintain the yard and the garden anymore. And so I asked Google, Google, how do you grow on gravel? And this said container gardening. And there I started in kiddie pools. Just got me starts, a couple seeds, and I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew you needed soil and I knew you need good drainage because I remember the way my grandmother and my mother taught me how to um, dress a pot before you put the plant in, and I just did it on a bigger scale. I fell in love with growing uh, all kind of fruits and vegetables in kiddie pools, and I thought, man, like this is a thing, and I noticed I felt better. I noticed I, uh, not physically, but mentally. I mean, I kind of got into it. It was like my life, and I wanted to extend that, and so extending it meant I started looking at a space that was adjacent to my backyard and thought, oh, I can have more kitty pools. <laughs> but I was like, no, I don't think kitty pools should be there. I think I should like farm. And uh, that's where I got the idea to farm. You know, it's funny is I didn't know urban ag was a thing. I kind of just was doing my thing, you know, and decided because um, a specialty crop apprenticing program had came along and I jumped on that and it just started to be a thing. A market garden trainee showed up with a local neighborhood development corporation. I was trying to receive myself um, into the community as someone who was more community oriented and I could feel that that was where my work would be was in the community. I thought I was actually gonna teach because I was working on my master's in education at the time also. All the stuff that I presented in my master's was um, all about well-being uh, from the olfactor and children and the um, elderly people working with aromatherapy to using meditation as opposed to detention. Like I did a lot of the studies that are, not my studies, but that we were on the kind of cusp of having these conversations of having alternative ways of dealing with our youth as opposed to the old brick and mortar way. And so that was the work that I had done for a year. And it made sense to just kind of create my own business where I was not only growing to produce as producer, but also creating content um, to teach. So that's why I started adding the teaching component to my small business. It kind of made sense and was one of the first contracts I had after coming out of being a VISTA. Um, for that same organization, working with the gardens, vacant land reuse, um, access to food, working with, the, and it was, in, at the time, they had their own urban farm. And after my visa was up, I got a contract with the hospital to do a cooking class at that facility. And it was perfect because I needed a direct buyer for my product. And because um, I'm this really magical human being, it's really nice to kind of just get a contract where people trust your magic. I mean, and these women, um, it was resource moms, moms who were normally first-time moms, 
and we were just introducing healthier ways of cooking and my model was eat the rainbow. So their eating the rainbow wasn't just a regular boring class, but it was packed with fermentation. And because at the time I was breastfeeding peer counselor in Orlando, that was one of the jobs I did. So I was able to also continue that to helping them with latching position, with breastfeeding care, you know, uh, proper ways of storing milk. So again, back to this farmer, you know, a person who has all these skill sets, but I got more magical the more I grew, the more I interacted with the soil, the more my knowledge was apparent and well needed and brought out. So a lot of the things I had studied prior to coming to agriculture kind of has morphed together into this one thing and it is it supports the work that I'm doing now even working with CCA doing cooking classes for them I remember thinking here I got this undergrad in criminal justice I'm not going to do anything with this you know the whole talk of I wasted my money I'm in debt for nothing well everything has its season and everything absolutely is a reason because without that criminal justice background, I wouldn't have been able to teach those cooking classes at CCA. Here I am doing my heart work through the lens of something that I wasn't even for sure I would really be working in. Like, that's huge. And I have to accredit my ancestors and the soil with that whole full front discovery that that's why that happened. And I didn't seek out the position. Someone else heard of my work and said, if you all can get this young lady to talk to these returned citizens, she would really, really, really uplift their spirit. You should figure out how to get her. And it was like, well, there needs to be a background check and there needs to be an assistance. And it's like, well, you know, just, just get in touch with her because she may, she may have the qualifications. And I did. And don't you really feel like that was just spirit's way of saying, okay, this is your passion. This is your love. You're honoring your ancestral line. You're, you're honoring your, your connection with, with the earth. And it's also being of service. And you, it, your whole life really does exemplify that, that farmer, that the, the word you choose to identify yourself as, as a farmer, it does encompass all aspects of your life. And from what you've been sharing, it, it seems that that's very cyclical, the pattern of, you know, I'm not going to use this degree, but then obviously it fell right into this this very pre-designed plan to reach more and more people. Sure. And, um, and to, to kind of cheat her back to answer her question, the plant, they've been working with me for a long time. Like I could, like I said, I didn't realize. I mean, even as a child, I remember my grandmother telling me what rocks and sticks and plants I couldn't bring in the house. And that was a problem <laughs> for me. I was like, they're my friends. Um, so early on, you know, I remember having a personal relationship with it, but honestly, like most new farmer ranchers, you never realize that it it come it came back. So I'm curious too. Does everybody get the call like I did? We all come from soil. We've all been touched with nature. Everybody has an everybody has a nature story. There's not a single person who does not. You know, and so I feel that. When, when I was given the call, I responded. I really do. And so the question to others, and that's, I guess, what the talk is about, too, that when that energy 
uh, touches you to be your higher, your greatest self, um, how do you respond to that? Like, for, and, and for me, definitely, when I look at the fact that I consider myself a fourth generational grower, like, they were really into plants, for real, for real. Like, when I have those conversations at the, our family gatherings, I was the family historian, and I can remember just sitting around hearing stories of, of laughter about how my great-grandmother would make all the little the cousins, my older cousins, go pick these white flowers. And they didn't like it. They didn't like when she asked to go pick the white flowers. There were two sets of white flowers that they would go get. And I would point at flowers and ask my, oh, is it this kind of flower? Is it this kind of flower? So it was Yarrow and Queen Anne's Lane. And she would put them in paper bags. And she'd dry them. My great-grandmother, Hattie Ruth, did this. Now, this was never told to me from them or others. I had to figure it out. And that's because I really do think that most people in urban spaces are so busy with serving other people's or other corporate agendas, they don't have time to have the kind of self-care that they can take note of nature. You know, because it is said or it is thought that amongst us in Black culture, oh, we don't, we're not outside. That's not true. We just use outside the way we use it. We have cookouts, barbecues, and porch sitting. You know, it might not be called walking the trails, you know, or going to the park, but we are often caught in outdoor spaces. And those spaces haven't been acknowledged as meaningful. That's why I'm saying I don't have language to say that I've been in nature, but I've been in nature. We didn't say, oh, we're outside in nature. You just were there. And kind of looking back at, you know, how I got involved, oh, my goodness, it's kind of always been there. But it really came forward when I was challenged with the gravel in the backyard because that meant what am I going to do if I can't access the soil? I didn't give up. I just got kitty pools because that's what we do. We're growers. Which is why you're such a magical person. And I would love it if you could spend a moment telling people why you see yourself as a magical person and, and how you use magic in your life? Good question. <laughs> um, I think that I, and I'm a, I'm a drop in my, my heart chakra with humility and say, it is because I absolutely pay homage and close attention to those who came before me. And with that, foundation alone gives me almost like a map, a mapping system of how to navigate my life. And I'm sure this is what one of our, the, the TED coaches was trying to get me to unpack of what was ancestral wisdom. And it is, it's unique to every group or person or people who your ancestors are, but I've been very much so connected to the other, the mystery, my spirit guides and my ancestors for as long as I can remember. I've always lived in Middle Earth in my mind. I have to just say that too. So there is some wanting that is definitely happening that's always been there. It wasn't until eight, nine years ago that it was kind of turned up and I answered. I felt this pull. And then 
answering filling the pool is what I'm saying, which is that ancestral connection where they were <clears throat> they were kind of charting this space or we were co-collaborating with the better part of myself, which was nature. You know, and I know having this conversation about nature, a lot of people think it's like that whole Martha Stewart garden feel like, oh, let me explain to you. It's tough. Nature's tough. You know, you have to be prepared for safety all year long with the kind of right gear because you could get cut, you could get sucked, you could trip over rocks, you could step in a hole. The weather could be so severe, but you still need to get your things in the ground. So nature isn't always sunshine and dewy morning, you know. Um, nature can be a bit treacherous or a bit difficult. So my ancestral connection with this type of a, what I'm calling spiraling movement through urban agriculture with nature put me right on the doorstep of plant medicine that I have been communicating with these plants forever. And I never acknowledged the fact that there is a secret, la uh, secret language and it's not the words that's coming out of my mouth. When I put all of that together, I guess that's what we call it, living our best life, kind of started happening for me. Less stress, um, less negative people in my circle, I'm spending more time with uh, the things that I love doing, um, which are definitely things that mimic not just ancestral connections, but like ancient ancestral connections. So building altars and studying the elements, watching the phases of the moon, studying astrology, um, looking into a lot of occult information, aligning that with my own um, personal and I'll say self-taught practice. Um, all of those things have always kind of taken my interest, but I never thought that I would be in the space of creating the curriculum for it because in my situation, I don't, I haven't had a formal teacher and my per se teacher has definitely been the direct connection to my grandmother, the way she comes to me in my dreams, the symbols and signs that she left, which were signs of yes and no and maybe and move forward. Um, those patterns have kept me in a really good space of having a delicious experience, a contrasting experience. I was just sharing this with my daughter saying, granted, we might live in an area that is considered disadvantaged. That's not where we are mentally. I don't feel that. And the, the reason I don't feel that is because I have a really deep connection to the ancestors and I have access to personal space that is divinely connected to me, which is that land that I grow with. So that's a piece of get you some kind of thing that I recommend for others who have some space for themselves because there are a lot of things that I'm unpacking, not just personally, but for my bloodline, the mothers before me. That takes a lot of self-development and it takes a lot of service for others, I found. I want to say that it's one of the greatest practices that I could ever say I've ever had. And it has, you know, we could call it a lot of things. We could call it witchcraft. We could call it folk magic. We could find some spiritual name. But I don't care how we dance around it. 
the, the thing that I'm practicing is farming. It's, it's farming. It's high conscious farming because, I mean, I can't read an astrology book that doesn't sound like I'm reading a charting system for, for soil regeneration. I can't read one without hearing about the other. You know, the farmer's almanac hit it on the nose. We know that. We look to the farmer's almanac for what the moon phases are, are doing, when it's time to plant, when you should and shouldn't cut your hair. And a lot of those things are really cute and interesting. But I say align it to your own personal practice. Getting that last little piece with a plant medicine class that I took with Asia, oh my goodness. It was just, uh, it, I felt like it was giving me permission to just be myself because I've never talked about plants in such a personable way. I kind of kept it to myself because when you have conversations with people, long standing conversations with people about plants and how they relate to you, people look at you differently. <laughs> so I just never have done it because I felt like I didn't give, have full permission. And so now, man, as a land steward, with a space that I've already been growing on, that I've already developed the relationships and I've already done the asking of permission, this next cycle and season for me is going to be ridiculous. Ridiculous. And the blessings have just been pouring in from the TED Talk to people asking me to be a part of their agricultural um, book curriculum. Um, it's just kind of coming in. And the crazy thing is, I'm, the only thing I'm doing is making the connection with me, with me and nature, me and my ancestors. That's what I'm doing. I'm honoring that, you know, and it honors the work of the global family. Because if I'm honoring my ancestors, clearly I'm saying I support you at honoring your ancestors as well, because we're all kind of land-based. And it's really important that we create space in our lives for these plants. You know, these energy centers, these synergetic, biodiverse groups of beings that have so much to share with us from the other world. And a lot of us are missing the connection because we're either not eating high quality plants, we don't have access to live in spaces where there's high vibrancy in plants, or we're not living in a space where there's enough diversity of plants. Because there are totally people who live in rural worlds who live in rows and rows and rows of just corn. And there's no diversity there because they've killed back all the weeds, they've chopped down all the trees. And so there's no commutative uh, connection that they have other than just the microbes in the soil, which is too very limited to just rows and rows and rows of corn that's planted yearly, you know? So anybody who can have access to the diversified way of living with ancestors, plants, and animals, and the cosmology, I say do it. And just because you're in an urban setting, that doesn't necessarily mean you don't have the same access as someone who doesn't. Just like it doesn't mean that just because you live in rural America, that you too have access to a lot of things, because they too, have food insecurity and poverty in world spaces. So we're all trying to scramble and get this well-being kind of thing, feeling better 
unpacking pain and trauma um, to have more joyful, brighter days. And I'm not saying I know the whole blueprint, but I will say this, if you get yourself some nature, you will quickly find yourself finding the answers. It will take you and introduce you to places and spaces that will help you. It'll connect you to the person or the thing or the organization that needs to make take you to the next level. And that's really why I'm calling it magic because I can't really show you how that looks. Only thing I can do is see the change that I see and then you watch it, you know, and that's I think that those are the threes I have for people. You know, ancestral wisdom, grace and plant medicine, all working for your greater well-being. But it also, everything that you speak about, there's such an essence of healing throughout all of it. That, I mean, yes, you know, the word farmer and it encompasses all aspects of your life, but from the way you described your connection with your grandmother and your connection with the earth and your connection with community, it, it really does feel, and I'm kind of wondering if, you know, I also know you work as a psychic medium and... Mm -hmm. Is there a lineage in your family of highly intuitive? Because obviously, I mean, now we would say that your, your grandmother was, was an herbalist. People would, would have, she was that connected with the plant energy. But was there also an intuitive or a psychic medium connection in your family? So, um, probably just to say this because it'll push me to do it. I am going to definitely kind of try to get this book together. I do describe that. So my grandmother, Helen Louise, did not have verbiage for this that I have. As a matter of fact, if I had a conversation with her when she was alive, it would have been, she would have said to me, that's not of God. And that was, you know, now having this experience with my grandmother, both alive and transitioned, that was her way of protecting the magic because there were some things you just, in certain eras, you couldn't openly admit because that could mean death or harm to you, right? especially if it's to a child, but I swear for goodness down to breaking wishbones in the kitchen with my grandmother that she was very much so psychic clairvoyant because her thing was for sure the numbers. And I can remember when the people would call on the phone and she'd be standing in the, holding that phone and leaning on the wall and she'd ask that question, what did you dream? And I never saw my grandmother read a numbers book, like a number dream book, because she remember it so well, especially all of what she was giving. It wasn't like three or four things, you know. And even when people would come over and she, they'd share with her, there was something very magical about my grandmother that many of us in the family, for one, could agree, whether they wanted to agree if it was magic or not, is she always had a good listening ear. Everybody has been at this table with a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or some chicken noodle soup while you were sharing, and she was able to give you exactly what you needed. And so for her, it was definitely the clairvoyant one. She was the nature connection for me, for sure. But the herbalist was my grandmother, Hattie, which is her mother. She was the one who worked more I think, in plant spirit work than my grandmother, even though my grandmother, her daughter, um, did a garden. But she didn't 
know all the herbs to start to pick for things. And I can remember asking, I can remember like not really asking, I just said it in talking because even oftentimes in African-American culture, you believe things that you've not even experienced because that's what they tell you, that's who you are. And I did that thing with my grandmother and she got very upset with me. And I said, right, because grandma died of what I said, grandma died of high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and um, diabetes. And my grandmother grabbed me by my arm and she said, you take that back. Your grandmother didn't have no disorders or diseases and was not sick. She died of a broken heart. Like, wow. I thought, and then so I asked her, well, how is that possible? Because normally that's why most African-Americans was dying. Right, grandma? She said, no. That right there got me to dig a little deeper into generations that kind of have stopped using plants as medicine. And I want to say for in my family, my bloodline, my grandmother Hattie was the last who had, who was the keeper of the plants and what they were good for because she always drank tea of yarrow. And I'm not for sure if she had the wisdom to know that Queen Anne's lace also helped with fertility issues if that's why she was taking that as well. But when my cousin showed me, I said, show me what you did when she told you to get the plant. And if she knew exactly how to dry them in paper bags, in a dark, in a cab, like they showed me what it was. It's like, and I'm sure there was other herbs, but for whatever reason, she did not tell it to her children. I'm just discovering it as I develop um, into doing the work that I do. So I want to say that a lot of what I'm exuding, presenting, or the talents that I got are definitely, I feel, much older than them. Um, I feel very much so kin to OMAC culture, which is right here in good old America, um, early ancient America, because of the dreams that I've had and the symbols that have connected me to the research for myself and the things that I love, like working with the um, entheogenic plant is definitely something of the culture of the OMAC. They also were great plant medicine people um, and um, mushroom people, um, psychedelic people. Um, and those were all used for the purpose of healing people. And so I've always just kind of been interested in those things. And so, no, I've not heard the word OMAC come off the lips of my grandmother. But that's not how it works, this thing that I'm talking about, ancestral wisdom. It's just a symbol or a memory or a thought or some impression that happens that triggers the new technology. And that's what it triggers. OMAC. Oh, wow, that's what that is. Oh, that's psychic clairvoyance. Oh, that's herbalism. They weren't calling it herbalism. You understand what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I'm in a world trying to fit myself in categories. Uh, and in the beginning, that was a challenge because, like I was saying before, granted, I still have to pay bills with this magical, dreamy life. And so my clients would either come for food or come for magic. You know, and so 
I guess now that I'm out of my witch closet, per se, I'm able to align uh, my entire mission with one kind of way. And I got, I got the idea to kind of, and I know it sounds crazy, and I talk to people who know me, and they're like, you've got all the confidence in the world. I can't believe that you weren't able or you felt like you couldn't be yourself. Well, we all have those. But what happened was I was at a farm conference, and I watched this farmer just straight up do an opening ceremony for the ancestors. I was like, if they can do it, I surely can do it. But the difference is when I do it, it doesn't look the same, right? When this brown-faced, urban, tattooed woman opens up, it, it looks differently because it is different. And it is the part of the difference that I think the world also needs to include and embrace. Hence, one of the other messages that I add to the TED Talk, which is I am the face of food. People that look like me are typically the grassroots educators. The family farms that we have still holding up the food system are brown-faced people like me. The people who are working in the fields are brown people as well. And we often forget that these are the food workers of the world. And the way we treat them directly goes into our food system. So guess what? If I cough, you catch a cold. So it's, we all have to do this, being well, being connected. There is some pain in a lot of areas. But if you line yourself with some high-quality agriculture or nature, quality living involving nature, possibly purchasing from farmers with good sustainable practices, possibly even participating in a community garden, maybe doing an herb display so that children can have a better um, relationship with herbs as medicine, or just overall promoting health and well-being in nature, that is a part of how you'll catch this bug of being well as well. That's kind of how that works. Like we all could use a bit of that, the reality of how nature gets into our homes and into our mouths and into our bodies and onto our temples. There are a lot of people very much so like me that is touching the soil and touching the food system that might not necessarily do the work the way I'm doing it, but they're definitely with a lot of the qualities that I possess, and they're putting it directly into your food, which is the love that we really do need in a broken food system or a food system that is on its way back of not being broken. I'll say that. Yeah, I love that nature is always our greatest teacher because you just oh. mentioned that nature thrives on diversity, and I think we do as well, and that's what you are bringing to the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When can people yeah. hear your TED Talk? I know you're doing it live, but when can people access it? That's a good question. Which I'm still trying to figure out the the logistics of that. I'll probably post as much as I can tomorrow. Tomorrow's rehearsal. They'll probably have okay. final information, and and I'll just make sure I post to my Ladybug's Farm page and my personal page, um, so that people yeah people can, can find you on Facebook and Instagram. Sophia Bugs B U G G S. I just love like my last name is Faye and it means fairy and weird and intuitive. Yes. And I love that your last name is Bugs and that's what you do. You work with 
all the bugs in the land and the soil. I think that's so cool. Anyway, yep. so you, <laughs> you're on Facebook and Instagram at Sophia Bugs. Where else can people connect with you? So, yes, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as three words, Lady, L-A-D-Y, Bugs, my last name, C, is a boy, U-D-T-S, Farm. And you can also find me on Facebook on my personal page as Sophia L. Bugs and Mama Sophia's Wisdom. Wonderful. We will post all those links on our Facebook page for listeners who would like to connect with you more. And when we find out the link to your TED Talk, we will post that on our Facebook page as well. I think all of the work you are doing is such an honor, not only to your ancestors, but to all of us. And I'm just so excited that you were able to come on our show and we will keep you in our prayers for the best TED Talk ever. I'm so excited for you. We will send lots of good mojo. Thank you. Thank you, girl, because, oh, my goodness, everybody's asking, are you excited? I'm nervous because this is the 11th hour, and we are in the dark of the 11th hour. And not just being in the dark where the veil is thin, Venus is retrograding. And so with Venus retrograding, I've been having – some new relationship stuff happening, which is very foreign and new to me. And I have to do this TED talk. And then my daughter's in early college and like all the things ever that's like right there is like right here all at the same time. I'm trusting that I got this. I'm trying to kind of be cool with it. And I don't want to memorize anything, but I absolutely want to speak from my heart. And I also want to be an oracle. And that's the part. I don't think we talked about that part. I think that's one of the reasons why I choose to be called an oracle as opposed to a clairvoyant psychic medium. Um, because as an oracle, I'm kind of a, I'm able to navigate my body and the way I get information with maybe some other tools like shells and bones and crystals and other images to really hone in on what is apparent that needs to be discussed then and then if there's like someone wants uh, something to be deeper or to go deeper that's for me that takes just a little bit more sitting and making those connections but once I make that connection I'm typically spot on with like just this very old primal way of connecting with people um so that's what I'm hoping is that I'm not only bringing a, a message, this a global message, an idea bigger than myself, but that I'm also used as like an, a technology for my ancestors. And my ancestors aren't always just bloodlines. There were there are others who I love that I call on that are my ancestors and then ancestral realm that will I hope meet me on that stage and use me the best way that I need to be used for the greater for 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 all. It's one of the hardest parts thing I think I will have done in my life so well I don't think you should worry that you won't speak from your heart I don't think you can speak any other way every word out of your mouth today has been from your heart and has been resonating with truth for me and, and Denise and I'm sure all of our listeners so I'm sure you are nervous beyond words can express but I'm also just as sure 
that all of your people will show up on that stage for you and hold you up and lift you up and you will do an amazing job. And I, for one, can't wait to see it. I say I give thanks. Thank you for that blessing. I accept all of that. Yes. Well, thank you for coming on our show. And when you write that book, which you better, I hope you come back on our show. I'd love to. Absolutely. And I will say again, I'm so tickled that you all interviewed Asia. I'm such a fan. And we are too. When you asked me and I was like, hold up, they just did a show with, oh my goodness. <laughs> yes. She is awesome. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, she really I, shared is. I shared the show with some um some other folk who are are new to all of this kind of language that we are sharing. Like we threw out a couple things that everybody is not, you know, their ears aren't necessarily listening for, but there are a lot of people who are wanting to have these connections with plants. And it's good that these kind of talks are out there because the internet. I mean, it did help me. I asked Google what to do. And I got container gardening. So this you know, these kind of talks do help. Somebody might Google how to be a land steward, how to be connected with plants more. Or is it weird that my grandmother comes to me? Or, you know, um, I'm sure that the show would definitely help the audience the way you're intending, you know, your audience to get the support they need for these subjects. So thank you again. I appreciate you both and many blessings be upon you and your families and your community. Thank, thank you. you so thank you. I, for one, will never look at a kiddie pool the same way again. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I love that. And I love that you're passing yep. all of this wisdom on to your beautiful daughter. Well, thank you, everybody, so much for listening to our show this week. As always, don't forget to show up, do great work, and share your light. And please go to our webpage, our Facebook page, and check out our links to Sophia Bugs. I really think you will be so inspired by the work that she is doing. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a beautiful week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.